0: Answering Mormon's Questions by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson deals with 36 commonly asked questions by your LDS friends and neighbors. It's a great resource for Christians who want to share their faith with friends and loved ones. Be sure to pick up your copy today at your favorite Christian bookstore.
1: Does the LDS view of covenant keeping violate the spirit of Romans chapter 4, verse 4? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week, we're looking at two conference messages that were given in April 2022. The first one was by Kevin S. Hamilton, who is a Seventy in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And now we are looking at a conference message that was given by Gene B. Bingham, who is the Relief Society General President. There seems to be a recurring theme between these two messages, and it has to do with this idea of a condition that is met with a result. If, then. If you do this, then you get this. And Jean Bingham seems to carry on that thought that was given by Kevin S. Hamilton, and it has to do with keeping covenants in order to get something. Today we continue looking at her talk that was given in a Saturday evening session to female members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She talks about making covenants in
2: the temple. She said, those who make further covenants in the temple Receive powerful promises conditioned on personal faithfulness. We solemnly promise to obey God's commandments, live the gospel of Jesus Christ, be morally pure, and dedicate our time and talents to the Lord.
1: I think we should stop there and explain to our listeners, what is she referring to when she talks about covenants in the temple? As we talked about in yesterday's show, there are promises that are made when you are baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, but also if you are to participate in the temple endowment ceremony, which, by the way, has nothing to do with what was done in the temple in Jerusalem in ancient times, even though they will say that what they're doing is a restoration of the way things were done previously. That is just not true, folks. When they go through the temple endowment, Members or patrons, as they are called, they covenant to keep certain laws. These include the law of obedience. I don't know if that even has to be explained, does it? Then there's the law of sacrifice, which may need some explaining because this law of sacrifice, when explained by LDS leaders, seems to always be tied in to the law of obedience. Then there's the law of the gospel, the law of chastity. And the law of consecration. So that's what she is referring to when she talks about making further covenants in the temple and how an individual received powerful promises. But these promises are conditioned on personal faithfulness. Sounds very similar to what she said regarding the covenants made when a person is baptized into the church, where she said every baptized person has the promise of these privileges if she or he keeps the covenant made that special day. So she's merely repeating the same process only for a different set of covenants. But basically, the covenants are pretty much all encompassing this idea that there must be on the part of the individual this ability to keep them. And they must keep them, you would think, in their entirety. You can't choose which covenants you want to keep and which covenants you don't want to keep, just the same as when you promise to obey. You don't get to pick which laws you want to obey and which you don't want to obey. You can't say, well, I'll do the easy ones, because for some people that might be, let's say, a 10% tithe. No big deal. No, it encompasses much more than that, and that's why we ask Latter-day Saints, are you really doing what you
2: promise to do? When she says those who make further covenants in the temple receive powerful promises conditioned on personal faithfulness, Bill, I'm sure Jean B. Bingham is a nice woman, and I'm sure most of the general authorities are nice guys— but it seems like they act as if they are doing everything. There's no personal angst that, man, I'm struggling with this too. It just feels to me like she has it all together, and if I'm listening in the audience, I'm feeling kind of guilty because I don't keep all my covenants if I'm a regular Latter-day Saint.
1: You know, Eric, that is an excellent point, and I often notice this when I am listening, let's say, uh, on a Sunday morning in my church. When our pastors speak, There seems to be an element of humility to where they admit to us by their self-deprecation of their shortcomings, how they struggle. They're just like us. We're just like them. No one is above anyone else when it comes to this sanctification process. If we think we are, it shows we're not but you bring out an excellent point. We don't see that kind of self-deprecation when it comes to conference messages, and you're right. I wonder how it's assumed when you're listening to these messages and you know you are a sinner, you've fallen short of the glory of God, you struggle with your sins, and here are these people giving you this list of things you must accomplish as if they already have accomplished these things. You know as well as I do, Eric— If we had these people in a room where we could talk one-on-one with them, it would not take us very long at all to get them to admit to us, if they're honest with us, that they too fall very short of meeting all these requirements. And if that's so, then how can they really talk about receiving these promises because of their personal righteousness when they've just admitted to us that they don't do that on a consistent basis anymore than the people in the audience that were listening to them when they gave these conference
2: messages. And that's the if part, then she goes to the then part, having the personal faithfulness in return. God promises blessings in this life and the opportunity to return to him. In that process, we are given or endowed with the power to discern between truth and error, between right and wrong, amid the confusing and negative voices that bombard us. What a powerful gift.
1: When she says, in return, you can't help but be reminded of what Romans 4.4 4 tells us, because what she is explaining here is really the exact opposite of what Paul was trying to teach the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 4.
2: And in this passage, Paul is talking about Abraham being justified by faith. Verse 4, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt.
1: So Wouldn't you say, though, Eric, if you're having to keep these covenants, if you're supposed to be doing these works, you are paying off a debt of some sort? And you know, Paul understands clearly what he is saying coming from a Jewish background. He understood clearly the law of works, of what an individual was supposed to do if they felt that they had met the approval of their God. Paul was saying it's not like that at all. We don't have to meet this approval by doing things. The approval was already met in the person of Jesus Christ. We put our trust in what Jesus did for us. His righteousness is imputed to us. This is why we can actually have this peace that passes all understanding because there's nothing left for us to do. Does that mean we don't do anything? Of course not. As we've been explaining throughout this week, we certainly do believe that once we are justified by our faith in what Jesus did for us, we move on from that justification into the realm of sanctification, separating ourselves in service to God, in service to the one who loved us and died for us. We appreciate that gift, That has already been given to us, not merely a promise to achieve later on, as Bingham is talking about, but because we've already received this gift of forgiveness, of salvation, we want to live a life that honors the giver of that gift.
2: I like what you've just said, Bill, because what we're trying to do here is not just diss on Mormonism, but we want to tell you the opposite view. What we have, what the Bible teaches, it's different than what Mormonism teaches. We have something to replace. If you are a Latter-day Saint who feels like you have no hope, there is hope. There's still hope in the Bible, and what Bill gave you was the gospel right there. She goes on in her talk and says this, "...in preparation for my first trip to the temple," My mother and experienced Relief Society sisters helped me select the items I would need, including the beautiful ceremonial clothing. But the most important preparation came even before knowing what to wear. After interviewing me to determine if I was worthy, my bishop explained the covenants I would make. His careful explanation gave me the chance to think about and be prepared to make those covenants. Again,
1: I think she exposes a severe difference between her faith and our faith as New Testament Christians, because she's going to the temple, and notice what she's being told. She says, after interviewing me to determine if I was worthy, did Jewish believers go to the temple with the idea that they were worthy to go there? No, folks, they went there with the full understanding that they were not worthy. When they got away from that and they were merely going to the temple offering sacrifices without that understanding, that's when God got a little upset with them. And he said, I'm not pleased with your sacrifices. Why? Because it didn't mean to them what it was supposed to mean. The wages of sin is death. That animal is representing what you should be getting. And yet, because you have faith in what that represents, this is how you understand that forgiveness of sin. It was a foreshadowing of that perfect sacrifice, which would be done in the person of Jesus Christ. They did not go to the temple with this understanding that they were somehow worthy to get what God had for them. Folks, it was just the opposite. At least it was supposed to be just the opposite. So I think what Jean B. Bingham does here is, once again, show us a clear distinction between what she believes as a follower and member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and what we as New Testament Christians believe. Now, she's going to go on and continue using this if-then proposition, I think that's important to keep in mind, folks, as we go through these lessons. You want to be tuned in to hearing this kind of stuff. Once you tune into this, you're going to catch it a lot. And this is, I think, a problem when many of us as Christians are listening to our LDS friends. We don't seem to be listening for these key words that will help us in our discussion with them to show them what the New Testament really teaches on this very important issue, and that is how do we get the forgiveness of sins? How do we find ourselves worthy, quote unquote, to enter the presence of our Heavenly Father. The only way that can possibly happen, the only way is because we put our trust not in our own personal worthiness, but in the worthiness of Christ himself. How many times have we said on this show, Eric, you could say as Christians, we do believe we're saved by works. They're just not our own works. Tomorrow, we're going to continue looking at this talk given by Gene B. Bingham in general conference in april of 2022 titled covenants with god strengthen protect and prepare us for eternal glory
0: thank you for listening if you would like more information regarding mormonism research ministry we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org where you can request our free newsletter mormonism researched we hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.